This is a Sunday message from New Community Church in London. To discover more about New Community, visit newcom.church. Good morning, my name's James. I lead the team here. It's great to see you. If you are a guest here, you're so welcome. Jessica, lovely to see you. Is baby Ezekiel here? He's at the back sleeping. We have a new addition to the family. Maya and Jessica had a new baby. A new baby. Well, obviously, had another baby. They already had one. Uh, And they've got another one, Ezekiel, who is sleeping somewhere at the back. Congratulations, you guys. It's awesome to see you. If you have got a Bible with you, and uh, like a proper one, I'd love you to turn to a Ecclesia, I mean like a paper one, you know, like that's, that's what I mean by a proper one. I'm not making a comment on versions, don't worry. Uh, Ezekiel, uh, no, Ezekiel, that's not what I'm talking about. Ecclesiastes 3 in the Old Testament, and also, if you, again, this is why if you've got a proper Bible, you can do this. Stick your thumb in Hebrews chapter 4 in the New Testament. If you've got a digital one, you can't do that, can you? You can't stick your thumb in two places and look smug, so... That's why you should bring a proper Bible. Anyway, we're carrying on our Redig the Wells series, um, looking at a whole series of different things as uh, going on this journey of God reshaping us. And um, as you find in Ecclesiastes 3, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing? Like, kind of, I know we're in church, so there's just that impulse to go, I'm doing good, thanks. That's kind of what we always say, isn't it? Like, yeah, 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 I'm doing good. Doesn't matter how many times we preach against just saying, yeah, I'm good. Our gut response is to go, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm good. And if you were to ask me, truthfully, I'll be honest with you, I'm exhausted. I'm like, I'm properly tired. Like physically a bit tired because we had a bit led. led bleh, 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 bleh. There you go, you see. I'm just basically getting all my excuses in now before I chat rubbish for the next however long. <laughs> but just in all seriousness, just like emotionally at the moment, I'm just, oh, just tired. Like... I know many of you are too, because I have lots of conversations with people, similar kind of stuff. It's, it's a strange period, isn't it? Like, life's normal, except it's not. And as of Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or whatever other day they decide, it will be less normal again or more normal again, depending on what you think normal is anymore. There's just that sense in kind of which, just trying to get back into rhythms. You have like 18 months where you, you, you haven't got any of that, and then you try and get back into rhythms and doing stuff and seeing people and... And it's just strangely so very tiring, isn't it? Like, people are not tiring. Well, they are, but just getting... Some people are, you know what I mean? But just getting into that kind of routine again of, like, oh, yeah, this is what life is. And it is it's tiring, and it is draining. And I just want to say, the very fact you're here, well done. Like, well done. I don't mean just literally right now, well done, but just the fact that you're still going well done. They're still involved and engaged with church life. Still love Jesus. Well done. Like, even if you're just clinging on by your fingertips right now, well done. Like, honestly, it's been the weirdest. I mean, remember that word that we used ages ago, unprecedented, and we thought we were cool because we used it for about three weeks, and then it got, like, tiresome. It's been strange, hasn't it? It's well done. I just also wanted to say a massive thank you. Right now, in the life of our church, like, truthfully, every single team is stretched. It's not our choice that we only put two musicians on the stage. You know that, right? It's not, I mean, as good as they are, and it's all fancy kit. I mean, how many buttons do you need to play a guitar? <laughs> and a laptop and everything. And that's, that's not just because Adrian likes to show off. He's a phenomenal worship leader. 
Well, every team's stretched. Kids' teams are stretched. You saw the kids last week and all that kind of stuff. I just want to say, if you're serving in, in, in any way, just massive thank you and a massive well done. And if you're sitting here going, everything's stretched. I had no idea. I just thought everything worked amazingly in this church. It does, because everything's stretched. And, uh, and we're just, yeah, we'd love to chat with you about how you can play a part in the unstretching of the stretchiness. Right. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'm tired. It's a great excuse. Say whatever you want when you're tired, can't you? Right, Ecclesiastes 3. For everything, right, we're in this uh, series, Redig the Wells, all right? And kind of today, I'm looking at, I want to address this topic of, uh, of time, actually, and busyness and all of that kind of stuff, and really under the frame of stewardship. And stewardship is a biblical idea that God, uh, God, everything belongs to God, Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And if you have access to it, if God made it and you have access to it, which is like everything, you are a steward, and you're accountable to God for what you do with the things that God made and you have access to. So last week, obviously, we looked at finance and, uh, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And actually, today, I want to look at time, like the whole thing. You are accountable to God for what we do with our time. Ecclesiastes 3. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. Now look, we know that this is a poem about the seasons of life rather than kind of top te- top tips on how to keep a diary or maintain your schedule. But the notion, right, right there from God in his word is that there is time for every matter. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, really? When? <laughs> When's the time? Because as, as well as the sewing and the dancing and the laughing and the casting away stones and the picking up stones I'm supposed to do, that I've, got, I've got other stuff as well. I've got like a, a wife I need to serve and children I'm supposed to raise and teach and a church to pastor and an eldership team to lead and a, and a church staff team to lead. And I've got new leaders to raise up and kind of got sort of new believers to disciple and new people in the life of the church. You, it's still not yet said hello, hello, nice to meet you. And like kind of got older church members who have not yet properly caught up with uh, post-pandemic. I really hope you're doing well. And everything in between, all the pastoral stuff that's going on, you've got all of that dealing with this problem, trying to shape that, and then just trying to help shape this idea or, or this ministry project stuff. And then you've got sermons to write and you've got kind of meetings to plan and lead and other churches that I work with that I'm involved with. And sometimes that involves travel and I have to do that and go there and miss this and miss that. And then you've got planning for 2022 and people are like, what are we doing in January? When's the week of prayer? Who knows? I don't know. I'm barely trying to remember to go to a prayer meeting on a Sunday morning where that is going on. You've got that, and then you've got kind of new plans for how do we launch all these new geographical communities. Uh, and how, what do we do with the ones that exist? And then it's kind of like, I've got all this community stuff to be involved with, and now, according to these guys, J-Bat, whatever, I've got to do a Christmas planning thing as well with my community, and I'm kind of, whoa. And that's before I even get to my main job, which is I've got a savior to worship, and I've got a spiritual life to maintain. Whoa. I haven't even finished. You just wait. 
Because we've also, you know, like, if you've been listening on this Redig the Well series, you know we've got this missionary evangelism thing to do. Yeah, we've got, like, actually got to get to know some non-Christians and to work out how to share the gospel with them. And then I've got to make some time for my friends too. And I've got to walk the dog. And the thing is, oh, I put the dog before the kids. I know I said, like, I've got to raise and do the kids, but I've also got three of them, and they need to be in different places at the same blooming time. Like, why did we schedule it like that? That they need to be there, and they need to be there. And we don't even have a car that works. And so how does that work? And as Han said two weeks ago, grateful, grateful, grateful that people lent us their car. We need to borrow two now, because I've got to be in different places at the same time. And then the third one goes, well, what about me? And that's where you're in all of this going on. And I've got a wife, too, that I've got to actually, you know, not just serve, because that sounds like really boring, doesn't it? We've actually got to have some fun to, or else, you know, like, what's the point of the whole thing? And on top of that, the car, as I said, it's still not fixed, and I still haven't tidied the garage. You still can't walk from one end to the other without falling over everything, and the shelves still haven't been put up, and I still haven't done this, 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 and I don't even have a secular job. <sighs> I don't have a baby. Thank goodness for that. Like, I'm glad we're out of that season. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, Jessica. <laughs> but praise the Lord, that's done. I don't know what you... I mean, I'm also grateful I don't have aging parents I have to care. They, uh, we moved them to closer to my sister, so that's all good. <laughs> Sorry, Mum, if you're listening. <laughs> I don't know what else is on your list. Of, all seriousness, I don't know what's on your list of responsibilities. You've got family, friends, career, studies... Chores, decisions, money, relationships. Pfft. Life's busy, right? And then we chuck in newcom.church forward slash serve <laughs> and forward slash community. And if you've been listening the last few weeks, you'll know that we're saying, hey, church is more than just Sundays. This coming here cannot be your only involvement, cannot be your only engagement with church life. You've got to be in community and you've got to be on mission and we've got to work out what personal and patient and local, all these things we've been talking about for the last few months, it feels like years, are going on about. And you know if you talk about community, because none of us are daft in this room, we all get that we're not just talking about turning up to a meeting on a Wednesday night for about 90 minutes and then ticking that box. We all get because we've been listening for weeks after weeks after week. And if you've not been listening, I'm telling you now, it's not just about a meeting, it's about a lifestyle. Because we look at the early church and they were devoted to one another and they were in and out of each other's homes. And that wasn't kind of like Wednesday night at 8 o'clock at this time, this is when you will come. They were in and out of each other's homes all the time and they're gathered together for times like this corporate worship and prayer and they were eating and they were drinking and they were doing life all on mission and we're all very sensible people and we all get that doing all of that living in community on mission that requires time right there's just no way around it and we all know that relationships are time intensive you don't put the time in to building relationships with people. There's like a very simple equation. Time plus people equals friendship. You don't have the people or you don't have the time, you're not going to have the friends. And we, we know that. And we know that being in community on mission, that's lifestyle, it's not meeting-based. We know all of that and we know it's costly, right? So how on earth do we fit it all in? Like how much extra time do you need in a day to complete all the stuff that you need to do or want to do? 30 minutes? An hour? Two hours? Just do away with the need for sleep entirely? If only God had made 
each day with 25 hours in it, everything would be exactly the same. <laughs> it would. Because the root cause of our busyness is not actually external factors. It's easy to blame those, but it's not those. You know, it's actually a heart. Jesus said that out of the heart of man come our actions. And he lists off a whole load of stuff that are not good. <coughs> Excuse me, evil thoughts and sexual immorality and theft and murder and all sorts of coveting and all sorts of things. And we could easily add, truthfully, we could easily add busyness to that list, couldn't we? It's easy to blame things out there, but most of our problems, most of the time, come from within. So if we're going to have any chance at all of becoming the kind, fully the kind of church that I really believe God's called us to be, the one where everyone is involved and everyone is playing their part, in, in together, but also out there with all the stuff that God's actually called us to, because we've said this loads of times, the action is out there, what you do this time tomorrow is significantly important in the mission of God, whatever that looks like. So if we're going to be the church where everyone in here and out there does, is fully engaged and involved, if we're going to be in our local communities on mission, if we're going to be bearing fruit, not just being busy, but bearing fruit. Remember, Jesus said in, in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. You didn't choose me. I chose you, he says. And I chose you. You've been elected, not just for kind of privilege. Oh, thank you, Jesus. But for purpose. I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. There's an expectation. We've got all this stuff, but there's an expectation of God as well that we would be a fruitful people individually in our own lives. So if we're going to do all of this, we need to first of all diagnose, as it were, the heart conditions that lead to busyness in our lives. Otherwise, we're just going to be adding more stuff to an already very hectic and already crowded schedule. And you get, we're going to get more busy, more frustrated, more tired. God doesn't make mistakes. You know that, right? When he says there's time for every matter under heaven, do you know what he means? There's time for every matter under heaven. <laughs> he means the time he's given us is enough for us to do the things he's asked us to do. So why are we so busy? Well, let's do a little heart diagnosis. Get our hearts right, our thinking right, and then our practices will follow. And not all of these things might be true of you, but most people would fall somewhere into these categories. And just to be clear, when I say busyness, that, you can interpret that however you like. Because some people are physically busy, like got running around. Some of us are emotionally busy. It's like, actually, our week hasn't got low, but we're just, our head is just busy. We are full, we're like, like trying to keep everything. And you can interpret these however you want. Not every single one of these is relevant for every single person, but most of us fit somewhere. First one is this. I'm busy because I've forgotten that I'm a human. Like, what? I know that sounds obvious, but let's just start with that one. It's really, it's, I think it's important to say people don't feel stressed simply because they've got a lot going on. Most of us enjoy doing a lot of things. We only feel busy when we're trying to do more than we actually can. Yeah. And we need to learn that we have limitations. We need to learn to not be afraid to admit these to other people and firstly to ourselves. Now, some of these limitations are to do with time. Of course they are. But others are actually to do with our emotional and our physical capacity. We need to just learn that we're, we are limited people. Do you know why? Because we're people. We're not God. We're finite, limited human beings who cannot do it all. Second thing. I'm busy because I need to earn or save enough money. Ah, oh, true. We need money. John did a great job talking about this last week, but we live in a, a culture 
We need to remember this. We live in a culture that says we always need more. We live in a culture that says our security and our satisfaction and our joy and our measure of success is found in the accumulation of wealth and stuff. And the Bible says, no, it isn't. Where are we going to believe? The Bible says you're never going to find peace and joy and satisfaction if you look there. And so our challenge as the people of God is to create a, a, a culture and a community where we are constantly disengaging from the lies of our materialistic culture. It's part of the reason, actually, why coming to church every single week matters. Because we are reminded of truth corporately together, and we disengage from what's going on out there for a moment, and we engage there. It's why actually being in community matters, because you can't live this stuff out alone. You need others around you, reminding you, helping you, pointing things out and saying, how are you doing with that? Holding you accountable to this, and reminding you that, encouraging one another, all those things. Third thing, I think this is a big one for lots of us. I'm busy because otherwise things might get out of control. What do I mean by that? Well, in the book of Isaiah, there's this section where the people of God face a great threat from one of their enemies, the Assyrians, right? And they're faced with a massive question. Are they going to ally, ally, them, ally, them, ally, ally, ally themselves, or whatever? Are they going to join in with, the, with Egypt? Egypt are the big superpower, right? Who can offer them protection and security, or seemingly. Are they going to do that? Are they going to trust that, or are they going to trust God? And they repeatedly warn throughout Isaiah 28 that however safe this alliance might look like with Egypt, it might look, it might look like it will give you success. It might look like it will give you safety. Actually, Isaiah says it's a covenant of death. It might promise much, but it will lead to death. And then there's this little phrase in Isaiah 28 verse 16. It says, whoever believes will not be in haste. And the image is of a people in a flap running here, there, and everywhere, desperately trying to find security, trying to keep things safe, trying to keep things secure, trying to keep things manageable, trying to keep whatever it is in control. And truthfully, that's why I'm busy, because there's lots to do. There's lots to keep control and keep an eye on that, protect that, sort that out, save that. Is that okay? Is that okay? Keep trying to keep it all in control. And God says, whoever believes won't be like that. It's pretty much what Jesus says in Luke 12 when he says, do not be anxious about your life or what you eat or about your body or what you'll put on. He tells us don't run after the things that the world says that you need in order to be safe and secure and control and all the rest of it. And actually what he does in Luke 12, he chides the people of God. He says, oh, you of little faith. See, the life of faith says God's in control, so I don't have to be. The life of faith watches the news and works out what's going on and says, God's in control, so I don't have to be. It doesn't mean we're reckless. It doesn't mean we're daft. It doesn't mean we take stupid risks or anything like that. But the life of faith says God's in control, so I don't have to be. Work is good, right? Labor is good. But when it crosses over into something more than what God intended for it to be, it betrays a lack of trust in God, and it becomes idolatrous. And like all idolatry, it looks good, promises much, but it's a covenant of death and causes harm. Number four. I'm busy because I need to get things right. We want people to be impressed, right? It's kind of human nature. We want people to think, oh, you did a great job. So we don't want to settle for anything that's less than like outstandingly excellent. And of course, trying to be as best we can is, is good. It's a good thing to do a good job. But perfectionism is a sin, right? We're not perfect. 
God is, we're not. And what matters is his glory, not mine. Or stuff Paul in Galatians 4 in it. But far be it for me to boast in anything but the cross of Jesus Christ. We can't do everything perfectly. We do things as best we can and then we go to bed. Number five, I'm busy because of other people's expectations. I think this is a big one for lots of us. Remember, God doesn't expect us to do more than we can actually do. So if we're doing more than we can actually do to meet other people's expectations, that whole I don't want to let people down thing, oh, they got this and they expect me to do that, and I go, I just, then what we're really saying, if you think about it, is other people's approval matters more to me than God's. Ouch. We fear other people and what they think. They're going to think this of me if I don't get it done. If I can't come, if I don't... Many of us find it hard to say no, don't we? But then so often we compensate by bearing grudges or complaining to others or not doing the job properly. Number six, I'm busy because I need to prove myself. It's why we get so tempted to tell people how busy we are all the time. <laughs> we want to prove ourselves. But proving ourselves is just another, reason, another word for justifying ourselves. We need to affirm again the words of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. The most important declaration over your life has already been given. And it's by Jesus. He says, it is finished. We have nothing to prove. And so now, from that basis of nothing to prove, we do, we live, we act, and we work all for the glory of God and for an audience of one, not to prove ourselves so that people think we might be good. The verdict on your life is in already. Jesus said it over you. He is pleased because of the work of Jesus. It is finished. We don't need to prove ourselves to anyone. Number seven, I'm busy because I'm chasing joy. This is a funny one, actually, because ironically, busyness robs us of the very thing we're trying to find in the first place, joy. The Christian life is supposed to be marked by joy. It's supposed to taste like joy. It's supposed to be filled with the fullness of joy. But busyness attacks all of that. So much of the time, we invest so much energy chasing experiences and doing things and chasing life that we're never actually satisfied and we're constantly looking for the next thing that gives us that joy hit. Enjoy that and it's, oh, but then it's over. So I need to do it again and enjoy it and it's over. So I need to do it again. And you're constantly chasing bigger and better things that never really quite satisfy as much as you think. Or we end up comparing our lives to other people and look at their Instagram lives and think, mine is nowhere near as exciting as that. And so I'm going to have to give myself again and again and again to go for it. And it robs us of the very thing rather than just being content with who we are and knowing that joy comes not from that, but from God. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added to you. Not experiences and red-letter days out, but peace and joy and contentment. Seek first the kingdom of God, which is the, and we'll know these things, which truthfully is the reason why we're chasing these experiences in the first place. So we feel a sense of joy and satisfaction and excitement and contentment and everything else. Number eight, I'm busy. This is me. And I'm not sure why or how I've got like this. <laughs> I say yes to all of these seven things and I'm still busy. I don't care about your Instagram feed. I don't care about this and the other and I'm still busy. I don't care. I genuinely believe God's in control. Like anybody who thinks James isn't sure just needs to observe how me and Han parent. We are completely convinced that God is in control. <laughs> I ain't worried so much about all those kind of things and yet I'm still busy. Why? 
Well, truthfully, I, I, it's because I lose sight of my priorities. I lose sight of my priorities. I get caught up in a to-do list. And so, therefore, it never gets done. So I do some things that aren't on the list and then add them to the list just so I can cross them out. <laughs> Ever done that? <laughs> I'm being productive. <laughs> Look at this. As if somehow a ticked-off to-do list proves anything about anything. Here's the reality. We cannot do everything we everything, so we need to decide what is most important for us to do. Jesus could claim that he completed the work that the Father had given him, and yet thousands of people weren't healed. How many people didn't hear the gospel? Jesus had a clear sense of his priorities. He knew what he could leave undone. So what are our priorities? First thing is we've got to distinguish that priorities are different from responsibilities. Right? We all have responsibilities, but they are different from priorities. When Jesus asked, what's the, was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What does he say? He says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And then you should love your neighbor as yourself. And so from that foundation of priority, we begin to untangle ourselves from the unnecessary, hurried, stressful busyness of everything else. And then we begin to bear fruit. And we give ourselves to the first things first principle of scripture. We love God and love the things that God loves, which is people. And so we get involved in his plans and his purposes. And so we go and give ourselves to making disciples of all nations. We give ourselves to the things that God gives himself to. And so in this church, we just talk about being and making disciples and family members and missionaries. That's what we give ourselves to. And the truth is, we might agree with all of this and still think, yeah, but I just can't fit it all in. <laughs> How? And this is where both our thinking and our practice needs to change. You see, we see so much of our lives as in tension and in competition from one another, don't we? We have church and then community and then local lifestyle whatever it is, and we've got this, and we've got that, and then we've got, um, and we just work, and everything else, and we just can't fit it all in. But what if we rethought about all of these kind of church things as part of our identity, rather than as add-on activities? If I stop thinking in terms of events, I must find time for discipleship. I must find time for my family member duties. I must make time for missionary work. If I stop thinking in terms of events and start thinking in terms of who, this is who I am, then it changes our approach. So if, if Hannah and I and the kids and the dog go for a walk with another family from church, plus a couple of single people and one of their unbelieving friends, is that family time? Is that leisure time? Is that discipleship time? Is it missionary time? Well, it's all of them, isn't it? And if we can distinguish between what we could perhaps describe as reactive time and proactive time, it completely changes how we live. Reactive time is, well, it's the chunks of time in our lives over which we have very little choice. So you have to go to work. And if you're going to be healthy, you have to eat at some point. And if you've got kids, you have to stand in the freezing cold at some point watching them play football. We have to do these things. But so often, actually, rethinking it brings so many opportunities as well, don't they? So I watch my youngest play football every week. I'll be honest, I hate it. It's so boring as he runs around and does these drills and stuff and looks up at me and I have to be like, yeah, great. I'm like, oh, I don't care. All right, matches are all right, but the training stuff, yeah, go around the cone again. Yeah, good job. No, you're still doing, oh, and it's freezing. 
<laughs> but what makes it bearable, actually, is there is a few parents I'm beginning to get to know. Week by week, we have a laugh. We talk about our lives. They know what I do. I know what they do. How, they know how I spend my time. I talk with one of them about what I'm doing today. Oh, that's interesting. An opportunity to talk about it. I talk about church. I talk about faith. I've got to stand there anyway. Choices, either look at my phone or chat to people. I mean, other choices, watch my kid. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> Another example. Like most of us, if you're going to be healthy, we eat, what, 21 meals a week? That's 21 opportunities to include other people without adding anything extra to your schedule of what you're already doing. So what holds us back from doing that? Well, it's probably some of those things we looked at earlier. Oh, I've got to be perfect. No, it doesn't. If you're, it's your house, it's your rules and your mess. Like, why do we only hoover when people are coming around? Like, it doesn't matter. Well, I'm not so good at being a cook. Who are you trying to impress? You're not trying to win British Bake Off. They chose the wrong winner anyway. It doesn't matter. Jürgen, come on. Disgrace. Some of you, what? I'm really busy. So that's reactive time. But then there's proactive time. Proactive time is the chunks of time where we can make choices. What we do with our evenings, what we do with our weekends, what we do with our holidays, that kind of thing. And here we can choose to be proactive in our mission, to invest in relationships and build friendships or not. So Hannah and I, when we went on holiday a couple of years ago with some, well, no, last year, what it went with a family and a non-Christian family. And it's just, we're going on holiday anyway, so what an opportunity. They're friends. We didn't just choose some random people and say, could you come on holiday with us because I've got a sermon to preach in a year and a half. <laughs> I've tried that, by the way. <laughs> people think you're weird. We're actually quite in control of quite a lot of our lives. We can be intentional about those times. We're stewards of time, so how are we investing our time? Colossians 4 5, Paul says, make the best use of time. He says in Ephesians 5 16, look carefully at how you walk. Sorry, verse 15. And then verse 16, he says, making the best use of time. So how do we do that? Well, obviously, each of us can learn some better time management things and get a diary and sort all that kind of stuff out. But actually, there's something much bigger at play. Think back to our priorities for a moment. What's the ultimate goal of our lives? What's the ultimate goal of our lives? Now, there's lots of things you can say if you're a Christian, bring glory to God, all that kind of stuff, all good. But the end goal for the believer is actually rest. You know that. The end goal for the believer is eternal rest with God. Go to Hebrews 4. You've still got your finger in it. Now, Hebrews 4 is a really very, very complicated bit of scripture. But it just starts, verse 1, with, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So whilst this is complicated, it's actually basically about the goal of mankind to know God, eternal rest with God in his presence forevermore. That's our future, right? That is the end goal of man. And on different topics, you've heard me in this church talk about we are supposed to be a prophetic statement of what is one day to come. People are supposed to look at us and see something of the future. We're supposed to look a little bit like what will one day happen perfectly. And that's true of us corporately, but it's also true of us individually. How we live is supposed to reflect and image and point to what God is like. That's why we're made in his image. 
But we've also been remade in Christ. And Hebrews 4 tracks the story of a God, a God himself who rests. He creates and then he rests. The whole rhythm of creation. The whole world is built on this. We work and then it's the weekend. We rest. Well, we're supposed to. Most of us usually use it to do more work. But Hebrews 4 also tracks the story of the people of God. Follow God's word, his commands, and the result is rest for your soul. And it talks here about the people of God finally entering the promised land. After decades at not being at rest and of walking around, they will know rest, except they don't. You see, the promised land in the Bible is really just pointing to an eternal promised land, a new heavens and a new earth. It's a picture of God's ultimate rest. And look at verse eight. For if Joshua had given them rest, he was the guy leading them in the promised land at that moment, to the promised land, God would not have spoken of another day later on. In other words, even though Joshua gave some relief to the people of God in the promised land, that was not the final rest that God had planned for them. Verse nine, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Here's the deal. As image bearers of God, as those who are remade in Christ, as those who are living lives or trying to live lives that honor God, that reflect him and point to the gospel, our lives now really should reflect something of this. One day we will gather around the throne with a great multitude from every tribe and every tongue, the perfect community with great diversity and perfect unity in perfect rest. And so now, how we live is supposed to point to that. We live in community, on mission to reach people from every tribe and every tongue, with rhythms and habits that both do us good and display something to a watching world. Rhythms and habits that are countercultural, that show that our identity is not in our busyness, because we are not living for the things of this world, we are living for the rest of the promised land. Rhythms and habits that declare our trust and our confidence and our faith, that it is not us who are in control, but it is God who is in control, that show that our hope is not in the things that we can achieve, but in the things that are achieved for us on the finished work of the cross. Now, for some of us, that's as practical as taking sleep a little bit more seriously. Sleeping declares, I trust God. He's actually sovereign. I'm not. He never stops, so I can He doesn't have limits, but I do. So I will lay my head down on that pillow and stop pretending I'm in control and give it all to him. But for all of us, I'm gonna finish with this, we need to cultivate good rhythms and habits of rest. Verse nine says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Then, we're heading towards it, but also now. How we live now points to that. And Sabbath rest is not doing nothing. Although for some people it might look like that. Sabbath rest is learning to enjoy God and his good gifts by stopping doing the things that are our normal work. Best advice I've ever heard is that a man who works with his hands should Sabbath with his mind. And a man who works with his mind should Sabbath with his hands. In other words, do something different to what your normal week is. Sabbath rest is about the enjoyment of being secure, and established in the presence of God, sharing in the everlasting joy that God entered when he rested on the seventh day. Think about it. He worked, he rested, he said, this is very good. 
Our Sabbath rest then is, I'm not talking like six day and seven day thing, it's, it's this moment where we, it's a, oh, this is very good. Do all this and now give myself, this is very good. I'm enjoying this. Thank you, Jesus. Because rest will look different for each of us. Different seasons of life change things. Pre-kids rest for Hannah and I looked very, very different from the stage of babies where, let's be honest, if you've got a baby right now, it feels like there is no rest ever coming. There's no stop. There's no, oh, it's just like, oh, rest, yeah, whatever. Doesn't last forever. And the stage we're at at the moment with our kids being the age they are is that, to be honest with you, a lot of our rest is communal. It's with other people. Of course, it's important that we have some times, just me and Hannah and us and the kids and all that kind of stuff, but actually being in community is rich and wonderful. It helps us bear burdens of life in difficult, tough situations. Other people who go, I j- just want to encourage you, I've been there. Other people who haven't been there, but just want to encourage you anyway and help you and say, look, if there's anything I can do, I'll lend you this, I'll help you that, I'll share with that kind of stuff. To be honest with you, the most enjoyable thing about being in community, Sabbath rest, is that we Sabbath rest, we do switch off and do different stuff with other people because it's free childcare. <laughs> I, somebody else to look after the kids for a few moments, somebody else to watch the kids, other people for our kids to go and play with. This brings joy and it brings life and it brings, I'm not even joking, it brings life. We love hanging out with other people. This is wonderful. Like, I don't have to think about them for a few hours. Somebody will bring me back if they're bleeding. Excellent. I mean, I prefer if you took care of it yourself, but if I have to, then I'll do that. But it's that point of actually, it's different, isn't it? It's probably the most crazy and chaotic rest I've ever experienced, but it's life-giving to me and her. Being in community with other people. Here's the point. The whole point of Sabbath rest, whatever it looks like for you, is to enjoy God and his good things. Love being in community with other people because that's the very best of his good things is other people. And it reminds us, rest, that we, the world, <laughs> like we can't, the world just chases everything, right? But actually we don't need to. We can stop and enjoy and meditate on it. Because it's ultimately, it's only the gospel, in the gospel that we find true rest. Only Jesus can give you the peace and rest that your heart craves. Heard that in our worship, he's done it all. He stayed up all night in the Garden of Gethsemane so that you could sleep. He finished his work on the cross so that you could rest. He let the world break him so it doesn't have to break you. He rose from the grave so that all your aspirations and dreams won't end in the grave. And if you've heard any of this today and thought, man, I need to do better, I need to work harder, I need to be smarter, you've totally missed it. Christians do things, of course we do. Christians are productive, they make things happen, all the rest, absolutely. Now that Jesus has risen, there are all sorts of possibilities and exciting and incredible ways to live. There are all sorts of people that we can show his love to. There are all so many good things we can do, but it comes out of God's love, not our or anyone else's need. If you put your habits and rhythms before love, you'll be full of legalism and you'll be dead and cold and bleh. But you place love first, the gospel first, Jesus first, and you'll be full of it and you'll be given the energy and everything else to go. God's love can really change us, can really change the way we live. But the way we live will never change God's love for us. You know that, right? He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. Jesus' invitation, Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, what incredible truth this is. Teach our souls. Teach our hearts. For those who are heavy laden right now, those who labor, whether that's because you know there is no eternal rest awaiting for you at this moment because you haven't put your trust in Jesus, come to Jesus right now. For those of us who know there is an eternal rest, but in this life right now there isn't much of one, Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Come to me, you'll find rest. Jesus, we come to you again. By your spirit, would you help us now to get our priorities right, to diagnose the condition of our heart. Why are we chasing this? What are we pursuing? Is it seeking first the kingdom or is it a whole load of other stuff? And then help us get our practices right. Grow us as disciples, family members, missionaries. For some of us, it's as practical as taking a next step and joining a community. For all of us, it's coming back to the heart of what's most important. Saying, Jesus, I trust you. I entrust my life to you. Come bring rest to this soul. In Jesus' name. Amen.